Welcome to FedScoop's podcast series on IT security in government, underwritten this week by Splunk. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in this episode, we're talking about how federal agencies can move the dial on zero-trust architecture by harnessing data to improve security around access. Our guest today is Yasir Abu-Zaham, Chief Information Security Officer at Splunk. Prior to working at Splunk, Yasir has also held various security leadership roles at Okta, SoFi, Google, and EY. Additionally, he acts as an advisor for cybersecurity startups and holds two U.S. patents in trusted network communication. Yasir, thanks for joining us and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Let's start by talking about the security landscape during these times. The number of endpoint connections keeps growing dramatically. Government employees are still working remotely, and there are limits to VPN and government equipment resources. And of course, hackers are not relenting. All these factors compound the security risks that agencies need to address. So how should IT leaders be viewing the security environment going forward? Yeah, the challenges to IT leaders are growing by the day as we modernize our tech stack and accept remote work as the new normal. Specifically, what we have been witnessing is uh, a few things, really. One is the continuous erosion of the network perimeter with the increased adoption of cloud, mobile, and other platform. In addition, because of remote work, we now need to provide access to all corporate assets from any device, anytime. Also, because of the new ways that cybercrime is able to monetize intellectual property, we have to assume that every business user is a privileged user. And lastly, we're now seeing signs that VPN infrastructure is not really meant to accommodate that 100% remote workforce. We can't expect the same availability from a VPN that we expect or we used to in kind of an office setting. So that said, I think by now agencies are very familiar with the mechanics of cloud migration. Before the pandemic, agencies were at various stages of cloud migration that might have felt like they had some time with the pandemic and this mass remote work was forced on us, all the control gaps that were otherwise mitigated by network security laid bare. The agencies that had invested and moved to the cloud fared well, while those that did not, not so much. The other relevant component in the remote work equation is endpoints. When I think about that, one would assume that government employees specifically are strict about following guidelines with regard to use of endpoint devices. However, a recent survey showed that 30% of DOD employees and 21% of federal civilians said that they used unapproved personal devices to do work. And this was before the pandemic hit and sent all of us to remote work in mass. So all these factors combined show that not all agencies were as prepared for remote work as uh, they, they thought, and that the swift transformation that is now required, we need to accelerate to be able to protect our sensitive assets. To provide or to deliver that protection, we need to pivot from viewing the security as a network problem to focusing on the data layer. We cannot and need not protect everything in the same level. What is needed is an approach to maintain a level of assurance that is aligned with sensitivity of the data that we want to protect, whether access to those assets is obtained within or outside the network perimeter. 
And that capability is offered by Zero Trust, which essentially calls for moving away from a perimeter approach to security to focusing on data and context as the basis to protecting agency assets. So let me kind of expand a little bit on Zero Trust for a second. At a high level, Zero Trust is really a security philosophy that calls for continuous assessment of contextual variables to determine alignment with the organization's desired risk posture. The term Zero Trust was initially coined to articulate dropping implicit trust in the network and applying access policies regardless of location. Since then, the industry recognized that there is a place for location, including corporate networks, as a contextual variable. Ultimately, what we want is to move away from implicit trust of access from within the perimeter and consider uh, other contextual factors to make sound security decisions. So, You can see how Zero Trust is the right security model now that our users are no longer working within the confines of the corporate perimeter. And really to achieve the spirit of Zero Trust, we need to aim for solutions that allow us to leverage rich context in order to maintain the desired trust level while delivering an acceptable and in some cases superior user experience. One of the major challenges, obviously, that agencies have in driving effective security is visibility. The Zero Trust model builds its architecture with data as its foundation, but how do agencies harness their data more effectively, especially in real time, so they can gain that visibility to drive decisions? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start by saying that there are multiple components of any zero trust approach, right? Your question focuses on the data angle of that strategy. And by definition, zero trust relies on context to make real-time access decisions. This means that we need the ability to ingest data from any and all sources. It is not enough to just get endpoint data or network data, but also we need data from applications, workload, threat intelligence, etc. From that perspective, data is really the foundation based on which automated decisions, including granting or denying access, uh, will take place. Ultimately, contextual data gives us a much clearer situational awareness and a more holistic picture so that we can make confident security decisions. Data platforms like Splunk provide a granular level of visibility needed so you can get that desired holistic picture that I just mentioned. And when you make decisions in the context of zero trust, it can be based on a variety of attributes that might also be based on conditional entities. So getting a clear view in real time into every aspect of access transactions will help drive better security and risk management. And for that to happen, we need data to be brought together in one place, aggregated and correlated. Ultimately, Zero Trust relies on context, which makes it fundamentally a data problem. And as such, a data management platform is key. It is not only about CASB or access controls. They all have a role to play, but also they have to collaborate in this ecosystem where data is the central component to real-time decision-making. Well, another challenge that agencies face is that trust in an entity can decay over time and hence the need for continuous validation. How can agencies determine when an entity needs to be denied access or disconnected and what kind of capabilities should they be looking for to put this into effect? 
Yeah, that is an excellent question. The concept of trust decay is often an underappreciated factor in security models. The fundamental premise of zero trust is not to trust anything, however familiar you might be with it. Once you establish a level of verification, which essentially translates into a level of trust, you allow access to a resource by the requesting entity. But by then, the accessing component, whether it's a user, a device, application, is not static by dynamic, meaning it can undergo a variety of transactions or activities that can change its risk level over time. And in zero trust, once you establish trust, it does not mean it stays on forever. It varies over time as you continuously monitor and understand the entity's behavior. So ultimately, the fundamental condition for granting or denying access is the risk the entity poses and what the agency can tolerate. It is about the conditions you are checking against and the context that can influence these conditions. This obviously requires analyzing large sets of contextual data, which is typically provided by security analytics. And those are capabilities that are offered typically by SEM tools. We can also think about capabilities such as behavior analytics, which are typically offered by UABA and the like. Also, the last thing I want to mention here is that given the amount of data that need to be ingested and analyzed, a built-in AI and ML capability is essential so that we can quickly pinpoint anomalies, sift through large heaps of data, and identify events that will allow us to make educated predictions and for us to stay ahead of the attacker. Platforms such as Splunk can do the entire monitoring lifecycle, which in the context of Zero Trust is essential to the effectiveness of the downstream security tools. Next, I'd like to ask, security teams are perennially short-staffed, both in terms of personnel and skills. How does Zero Trust architecture help agencies overcome this challenge? Yeah, that is definitely a challenge. (laughs) I can definitely attest to that. So at its core, Zero Trust calls for automated decisions that rely on context as we established by now. In a way, the automation that takes place should follow the same logic as a skilled analyst to determine the risk of any given transaction. For example, uh, Zero Trust can prevent non-compliant devices from accessing the network, which is the same decision that an analyst would make when they're alerted of a similar event. So So from that perspective, the cost avoidance that we're able to realize when considering hundreds of similar events is what allows the security team to scale. Ultimately, what we want is to have automation take care of repetitive tasks and mundane tasks as well, while humans focus on areas requiring critical thinking. And that's how Zero Trust is allowing us to scale our security talent. Well, finally, Yasir, what recommendations would you offer to agency IT leaders to get greater buy-in from upper management? Yeah, so when we take a step back and consider the shift in how we do work that took place in the last six months, we'll realize that most knowledge workers are just as effective working remotely as they are in the office. By now, our employees have determined that it is possible for them to deliver on their mandates and remain productive while remote. So it is unlikely, from my personal opinion, that we will go back to the pre-COVID work models once we solve the pandemic issue. 
I think we can safely say that remote work is here to stay. And from that perspective, investments in zero trust are not lost, but uh, strategic. We can, in a way, say that zero trust is core to security for the future of work. The second point I want to make is that there is really no silver bullet to delivering zero trust. The aim is to come up with a strategy that is comprehensive, that utilizes different solutions to give us the coverage and assurance that is appropriate for our environment. So there's not a single vendor or solution that will give us that end-to-end solution that meets all of the components of Zero Trust. And the last point that I will make is that while most organizations prioritize typically prevention when thinking about Zero Trust, I would highly recommend that our listeners make detection as an essential component of their Zero Trust strategy. Detection is really the piece of the puzzle that allows us to evaluate the effectiveness of our prevention controls and establish that feedback loop that fuels the continuous improvements required by the evolving threat landscape. Well, those are some great recommendations. I'm afraid, though, that we're going to have to leave it there for today. Yasser Abu Selam, thank you so much for joining us to talk about how data is the foundation for enabling zero trust and its importance for federal agencies. Thank you for having me. And thanks to Splunk for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage of IT security in government on fedscoop.com and our FedScoop radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in.